All right. Well, it was a little bit over 10 years ago. I had what I was sure was a great thought. Uh, I would take Quinn, our eight-year-old daughter, and I would sign her up for a golf class. Uh, I grew up in a family where it was just me and my brother. There were no girls other than my mom and our family. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, I had nine cousins. Eight were boys, only one girl. And I, I guess I just assumed when I would have kids of my own, they would be boys. Like it was part of the Coley DNA to only have boys. And so uh, I plotted out long before Andrea was even pregnant what that would look like. I imagined all sorts of uh, manly sports that we would get to like bond over, watching some and playing some. Uh, you know, football and hockey and, and mixed martial arts. Uh, and then I found out that we were having a girl and uh, another girl. And, and I am thrilled that we have girls. I wouldn't have it any other way now. They're, they're great. But, but I realized I would probably, based on what they like, have to rethink my plan. And, uh, and so one day, my future flashed before me. I would be spending Saturdays the rest of my life watching gymnastics and ice skating. And, uh, and so my plan was, I'm going to sign Quinn up for stuff that I can play with her. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I want to get her into something that I'm going to be able to play for the next 50 years, <laughs> golf. And so we signed her up for a series of kids' golf lessons every Saturday morning. Now, there are lots of good things about this. Uh, I mean, it's designed to do more than teach golf. This class is designed to teach character. Uh, like it talked to them about honesty and integrity and how not to cheat when you're playing golf. Uh, by the way, all things I still haven't learned yet when I play. <laughs> but, but, but what I noticed as Saturdays went on was the class taught wonderful life lessons and golf facts, but it was not all that effective at teaching them how to actually swing a club. Like the skills portion of the class severely lacking. Uh, for instance, you could bring your own clubs if you wanted, but considering it was most kids' first class, they assumed that kids didn't have clubs, and so they provided them for them. Quinn is right-handed. Her coach assigned her left-handed clubs. Uh, the next week, she ended up with some clubs that were meant for a kid about the size of a five-year-old. She was eight years old at the time. And none of this seemed to matter too much because, as I said, hitting the ball was a secondary part of this program. Uh, they taught the kids how to keep score. They, they taught them terminology like birdie and bogey. I mean, these are all things that matter. They taught, them, they taught them how to shake someone's hand and look them in the eye when you first meet them at the tee box. That's good, uh, but I could have taught her that stuff. Uh, there was almost no effort put into teaching them how to actually make contact with a ball. When they would finally get the kids up on a, on a putting green, it was so hard to watch, you guys. She was holding the club backwards. Her legs were spread about this far apart. And I started to walk out onto the green to show her what to do, and the coach yelled, parents, please stay off the green. Let us coach your kids. Uh, I wish you could have seen this. By the end of the eight weeks, there were 15 kids all lined up swinging their drivers. And I would say most of them hit it maybe one time out of 10 times. And the coach considered that a success. I think almost every kid who could not make contact with a golf ball except by accident was passed to the next level. And here's the thing, you weren't supposed to go to the next level if you couldn't at least hit a golf ball. Essentially, the kids were told, you are now golfers, go golf. Kind of a disaster. Lucky for me, 
I had an ace in the hole, JT. Uh, one of our pastors here at the time, Carol Taylor, her husband, JT, was the golf coach at Foothill High School. Uh, he's actually got his tour card now. And, and, and after I told him about this, he offered to take me and Quinn out to the driving range at Poppy Ridge, and he would show her a thing or two. And by the end of her one hour with JT, it was everything I was hoping her eight weeks of lessons could be. JT was amazing. It was all good. And then he started critiquing my swing. <laughs> and, and I decided maybe we should just put her back in that other golf class. Well, I, I want to show you a verse in the Bible that made me think of that experience. And it's, and it's one of these verses that I used to really struggle with, and maybe you have as well, uh, or maybe you will once you hear it. It is this verse in Matthew where Jesus says this very weird line, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when I, when I read the words that Jesus says, be perfect, I can't help but think of the golf coach who lectures to kids for two hours every Saturday about how to golf, how to keep score, how not to cheat, and then he closes the lesson with, good luck, kids, now go golf. Go win the Masters, I've taught you well. Do, do you ever feel like the Bible, Jesus, maybe even some of us pastors are like the golf coach who says, here's what to do, now go do it, and just leaves you needing more? You feel like you get a little bit of information, which in and of itself is okay, but then the bar is set so incredibly high that God has unrealistic expectations about who you should be. I mean, I read perfect, and that is exactly what I think at first glance. Perfect? Easy for Jesus to say. He was perfect, didn't need any help. But anyone who just tells you to get out there and be perfect clearly doesn't understand how hard it is to swing the club and connect to the ball. Now, I know for some of you, you have never heard that verse before, this thing that Jesus says, be perfect. And as such, you don't have the heartburn that I do, but I don't think you have to read this verse in the Bible or have read it before to understand this idea or have it, have it in your head that perfection is something that you feel like you're supposed to be achieving. You may have heard some version of this be perfect thing from your parents or from your teachers or your coaches, or your bosses, or your pastors, or your husband, or your wife, or God. It might not be those exact words, be perfect, because I mean, who's gonna say that? But in some ways, in some words, somebody set that standard for you. Just as an aside, I, I meet and talk to many people who are struggling with self-worth issues and, and, and doubt, and for some of those people, those struggles lead to some fairly unhealthy behavior, trying to prove their worth through workaholism and, and pleasing everybody they meet. And didn't Jesus realize how unhealthy a statement like be perfect can really be? And this matters in this series we started last week called Choose This, Not That, where we're talking about discernment, how to make good decisions, the Bible has, what it has to say about that. This matters because you have a decision that you make every day related to this word, perfect. You have to decide every day whether today is a day that you will strive for perfection or whether you'll settle for something less from yourself. Will you shoot for perfect or will you settle for less? And actually, you have another decision. When you don't achieve perfect, how hard on yourself will you be? How will you, let this, how will you decide what you feel about you when you let yourself down and you let others down, you let God down? 
Actually, you have one more decision related to perfect. If I'm not perfect, and, and, and let me give you some insider info. You're not. If I'm not perfect, how much of my imperfection am I willing to show? Will I wear a mask and pretend to be perfect? Or will I show people the real me? Oh, and which imperfections am I willing to show? Just the socially acceptable imperfections that everybody's got? Or the real ones that I think are kind of ugly? The ones that if I show them, I might risk you thinking less of me. Well, we're gonna talk about this today, and I'll just say, if you're somebody who's been dealing with any of this perfectionism stuff, or you're somebody who maybe thinks that God has unrealistic expectations, I mean, why would he say be perfect? Or you're somebody who might get a little bit down on yourself because you feel like you've got a lifetime in front of you of never living up to the standard. Or you're somebody who's missed being perfect in the past, and now you're trying to make up for lost time. I think that you will find hope and help from the actual words of Jesus here that might be stirring in you some of this conflict over perfect. And I wanna guide you to see that hope and that help, and then I wanna challenge you to use what you learned today in your discernment process with your choices. So, let's really break down what Jesus says in this verse, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the best way that I know how to do that is to share with you a Greek word that you need to know to understand this verse. It is the word teleos. I want you to say it with me. Let's try it together. One, two, three, teleos. And that is the word that has been translated perfect. Be teleos, therefore, as your heavenly Father is teleos. Now again, this word means perfect, but not perfect like you and I think of perfect. We think of perfect, we think getting 100 out of 100 on a math test, uh, or singing every single note perfectly on pitch at just the right moment in a song. Teleos had a little bit of a connotation back then that's kind of gotten lost here in our modern translation, okay? Teleos means more than just the simple word perfect. It means fulfilling your intended function. Let me say that again. Teleos means fulfilling your intended function. Turn to the person next to you, look at them, and say, you were meant to fulfill your intended function. Will you try that for a second? Fulfill your intended function. Now let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for a, a second, okay? Teleos does not just appear in the Bible. Teleos appears outside of it. Uh, Greek philosophers would use the word teleos to not just talk about people, but they would use it to talk about things, even things fulfilling their intended function. So take a look at this banana on the far left. It is really green, right? It's not ready yet. There's some work that it has left to do. On the far right, it's ripe, it's ready. It is fulfilling its intended function. The far right is teleos. Let's do another one. Um, these are avocados that are teleos. They are ready to be made into guacamole. Actually, actually, better yet, teleos is the state the avocado is in when it is guacamole. It is complete, it is finished, it is finally doing what it's meant to do. Teleos means to fulfill your intended function. Okay, turn to that same person you just talked to and say, you are meant to be guacamole. Let's keep going with teleos. Other writers in the New Testament use the word to talk about people progressing to the end, to the point where they are complete. Again, guacamole, ripe bananas. So when Jesus says here, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, it is not a statement meant to set the bar higher than you could ever jump. 
Jesus uses a word that the people of his time and culture understood differently than we do today. What he's saying here is essentially, do the thing that you were made to do. Fulfill your function just as God fulfills his function as well. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in his message version of the Bible. He says, live out your God-created identity. And now the trick is for us to figure out how we do that. Let me ask you, if you were made to be complete, if you were to fulfill the intended function God has for you, what would that be? Now, our tendency at Crosswinds when we talk about function, we tend to think really individually with this. We, we talk about this a lot, and we, we say maybe somebody's function is to teach, and somebody else's is to, is to play an instrument, and somebody else organizes, and somebody else is to be an encourager. I love talking about function that way. I do that a lot. But teleos is not that kind of function. Teleos is not about you figuring out what specific thing you're supposed to go do in this world and getting after it. Um, Tomorrowland, we had a whole series on that to kick off this year. No. Teleos is a different function. It's about you and God. It's about you fulfilling your intended function as a human with God, your creator. Teleos is about a journey that you are on and this change that happens is you get closer to a completed version of who God intends for you to be. Now, let me say that again. It's a really important concept. You are on a journey, spiritually, but, but emotionally, physically, relationally. You are on a journey with God. And throughout your journey, you are supposed to be, in theory, becoming something closer to what God intends for you to be. And what Jesus is saying when he says, be perfect, be teleos, is that your heavenly father is teleos, a finished product. And when you fulfill your final function, your finished product should look a lot like the function that God has. When you are ripe, when you are guacamole, you will be someone who looks a lot like God, has the patience of God and the kindness of God and the self-control of God, someone who has the love of God oozing out of them. Now, one more piece of this teleos thing, and then we're going to start talking about what decisions we find ourselves having to make. I want to, I want to show you something in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, God is about to destroy the world and start over. It's going to be a flood, and God says, there's one man who I want to start over with. His name is Noah, and look at what it says about Noah in Genesis 6, 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Okay, quick time out. Blameless. Blameless? That sounds a lot like perfect, the, the bad kind of perfect we talked about before. When somebody sets the bar so high, you could never get over. Feels like we're back again at the Jesus statement in Matthew 5. But there's something you should know. In Jesus' time, most people who were interested in reading from the Old Testament, they read from a Hebrew scroll, or, or maybe they had it memorized. But in the event you came across somebody who could not read Hebrew uh, or have access to that, you might share the book of Genesis in Greek. And there was actually a translation of the Old Testament into Greek that existed in Jesus' time, very popular, no doubt Jesus was familiar with it, called the Septuagint. And what would you guess might be the Greek word that it used for what is translated blameless right here? Teleos, complete, fulfilling your intended function. Teleos, now let's talk about that. Was Noah really blameless? 
Had he lived a life that was perfect and sin-free? Probably not. So could it be that what's written here means that Noah was a righteous man, complete, fulfilling his function and walking faithfully with God? Now, I want to be really careful. I am, I am not suggesting God has not set the bar high. I believe God has. He's a holy God. To be in a relationship with him, he demands blamelessness. But seeing that that was unachievable, Jesus came who was blameless to take the blame for us. Not trying to lower the bar this morning, but if we understand teleos as meaning more than just perfect or sin-free or blameless, then maybe God had something more in mind about Noah. Now hold that thought. Let me flip over to Genesis 17. God is in the middle of making a covenant with this guy, Abram. And he's just told him, I'll be your God. You will be my people. I'll take care of you. I will bless you. But here is what I ask. Genesis 17, verse 1. Take a look. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And you see that blameless word again. Some translations actually just use perfect. They just say, be perfect. Was Abram perfect? Blameless? Absolutely not. But if we understand this concept of being made complete, fulfilling the function God intended you for, he created you for, then maybe God is saying to Abram here something more than, go, don't screw up. He says, walk before me faithfully and be made complete. In other words, walk with me toward fulfilling your intended function, being like me. There's a metaphor that both of these verses use I want you to see. If you want to be complete, this thing talks about walking. What it means to move toward completion, a sense of wholeness, a fulfillment of everything God's designed you to be. If you want to get there, for Abram, for Noah, it involved walking with God. Now, we're going to talk about how we do that. But first, last week, we talked about resolving some things. We said an underlying principle we can use to be good decision makers is to pre-decide some things, to pre-make a commitment. We gave you a few of those. Hopefully you made some. Um, one was to make the Jesus-centric choice when given the chance. Another was to be here every week of this series or watch online so that you can become the best discerner you can be. These are commitments. When we say that, these are things that I have resolved, decisions I make ahead of time, so when I'm faced with a choice, it is easier than it would have been if I hadn't decided. We could just say, I already decided that a long time ago. And last week, I had you pull out your phones and make a note. Do you remember that? And we said, maybe you'll add to this note in your phone over the next six weeks. So let me give you one more to add right now, a choice that you can resolve right now. Resolved, when faced with a choice, when given options, I will make the choice. I'll choose the one that leads me toward fulfilling my intended function, becoming like God. Now think about this. In life, there's gonna be a lot of things that come your way, come my way, and things that are competing for my time and my attention. And often, I'm gonna have to choose between two good things. And sometimes I'm gonna have to choose between two bad things. And those are the moments that it's not easy. This is discernment. We said last week, discernment is making a good decision when it's not easy. You are gonna be faced with tough choices. And one thing you can resolve to make the choice that leads toward your fulfilling your intended function. Um, have any of you ever caught the old episode of Star Trek where Spock has an evil twin? Does that ring a bell? Um, I, 
I know I am much older than all of you, but I remember this, and I was born in the 70s. This was in the 60s. I I don't know if they still do this, but uh, there there was a time when TV shows used to have these plot lines where they would use the same actor, they would put a mustache on them, and they would call them an evil twin. That's all it took. Like, as soon as you have a mustache, you are your evil twin. Uh, Anyway, in this episode of Star Trek, the Enterprise somehow gets transported to a parallel universe where, in theory, the same people exist, but they've made different choices in this universe. And there's a different Spock who's also a Vulcan, but he's evil. He's developed into an evil person, unlike the other good, uh, clean-shaven, upstanding, high-character Spock that the audience knows and loves. And I have watched this episode, and I've watched many other TV shows that use the evil twin, and it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis wrote that that, that goes with this thing that you can resolve. Let me read this to you, all right? C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. In taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. Let me go back to his first line. Every time you make a choice you are turning into this or this. It's basically a much more eloquent way of saying with each choice, you're becoming good Spock or evil Spock. So why not, why not resolve to make choices that lead toward you fulfilling your intended function, becoming like God? Okay, back to Noah and Abram and walking. Let's talk about how we do what it says that those guys did. How we walk alongside God toward a better version of ourselves and one that looks more like him. Well, here's what I think a lot of us do. We think to ourselves, all right, well, I better appear like I'm walking. I I think a lot of us understand that that there is this deal in the Bible that talks about us and God having this close relationship, and it's supposed to transform us. And we know that everybody else knows that at some point, we are supposed to start looking like God. And so what we do is we try to make it look like we are moving toward completion as much as possible. And our our tendency is to think, well, I better start putting on a facade. Because if there's an expectation from God that I look like him, then there's probably an expectation from all of his people that I look like him. If God said, be perfect, then I will wear a mask. I won't Stepford myself, because let's face it, that's creepy, but I, I just won't let anyone see where I'm not perfect. I won't let them see my flaws, and I won't let them know about my mistakes, and I, I will hide my sin. I will try to look more complete than I am. It's like Jesus said, be perfect, and we heard it, and we said, okay, got it, appear perfect. And you know that that is not good trying to appear like someone that you're not, it, it is a setup for incredible emptiness. I mean, when you do get into quality relationships with people that would fill you, you think, they don't love me. They just love the image. And, and, and trying to appear perfect when you know you're far from it 
It is a recipe for workaholism and codependency and, and, and gaining your self-worth through proving to people that you are important enough to have around. Many of us think that what it means to walk with God is to appear perfect or complete or further along at least than you are. Um, you've heard the phrase, fake it till you make it. I need to tell you today that the way you walk toward fulfilling your intended function with God is not to fake it till you make it. In fact, can I, can I show you what Jesus said literally right after the be perfect thing? Uh, be perfect, or now we know it means be complete. The last verse of chapter five, that's where he says that. And immediately after it, Jesus says at the beginning of chapter six, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. It's almost as if Jesus sees what's coming. I'm gonna say be perfect, and they're gonna think appear perfect, and so I better clarify. By the way, perfect, complete, not something to fake till you make. That's a bad idea. Don't try to appear complete. Let's keep reading. Look at what he says in verse two. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do. Verse five, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. In verse 16, when you fast, don't look, appear somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show other people that they are perfect. Jesus says, be perfect, and he goes out of his way to give us specifics about how not to look perfect, because walking with God is not about appearances. So what is it about? I'm about to tell you, but there's another thing we can resolve out of this, a commitment we can make ahead of time. You ready for this? Resolved, I will choose real over perfect every time. I will not let appearing perfect factor into which decision I make. See, one of the choices that you are faced with every day, you're gonna be faced with before you leave here today, is how you appear to other people. Will you let them see the real you, or are you gonna create a picture of a more pleasant you, a more acceptable you? And, and by the way, it's always less embarrassing to show people the perfect you, right? Uh, I'd be embarrassed for you to know I screwed up. I would be humiliated for you to know that I make these mistakes. And, and so if one choice saves me that embarrassment and the other causes me to feel it, then I'm gonna choose to appear perfect over real. But you can resolve today a healthier choice right now, resolved. I will not let appearing perfect Factor into which decision I make. I will choose real over perfect every time. And can I go back to the bananas? The way that you get to be teleos, the banana on the far right, is to be honest. It is to be real about how you are not the banana on the far left, uh, you, 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 on the far right. You don't get to, um, the banana thing is really confusing me. Uh, <laughs> you don't get to be teleos by pretending or appearing to be complete. That's not how you get there. You know how you get there? By taking a look and giving other people a look at the real. Okay, so we're saying walking with God is not about appearances. What is it then? What is it to walk with God? What it really is, if you look at Noah and Abram, is obedience. Would you say that word with me? Just say it together. Obedience, obedience, what a frustrating word. 
I hate that word, obedience. I've always hated obedience. Maybe for some of me, uh, like you, you, you hear it and you think of other people telling you what to do. You think of rules and regulations. Those are both true. But to be honest, the, the, the thing it mainly makes me think of is the thing at the beginning that I told you I didn't like either. Perfect. What we said at the beginning, be perfect. Isn't that the same thing? Somebody says obey, aren't they saying be perfect? And this is huge. They are not the same thing. Obedience and perfect are very different. See, perfect means as you walk alongside God, don't ever fall. Perfect track record. Obedience means as you're walking alongside God and you trip, which you're gonna do, we all do it, stop pretending you don't trip. Obedience means when you fall, get back up and keep walking. And this can be so hard for some of us. Some of you struggle with this so much. Um, do any of you remember the TV show that was on like 10, 15 years ago called Wipeout? I know it was like lowest common denominator, but we loved watching that show, the family when our kids were so little. They basically put people on a giant obstacle course over the water, and then they just make it impossible to get across. The whole point of the show is to knock people off and make them fall in. And they had different rounds, and in the first round, when you fall off the obstacle course and everybody falls, no one's ever not fallen, you get up, you climb back onto the course, and you continue on from there where you fell. And that is a lot like what it means to walk with God. You're gonna get hit, you're gonna slip, get back up, keep walking. But here's the deal. In the final round of each wipeout show, when you fall, you had to get up and start over again. You didn't get to just keep walking. You had to start over at the very beginning. And I think some of us think that that is what walking with God is like, that he is expecting perfection. And the only way he's ever gonna complete you is if you get it right from the top. And I know a lot of you struggle with this. Because you think, well, what, what is the point of me walking if I keep falling? I'm not getting anywhere. I said, just give up the walk, or at least just fake it and appear like I'm walking because I can't get this right. I have to keep starting over. But that's not what the Bible says. It says, just keep walking and God will make you complete. I think others of you struggle with this because you're perfectionists. There's a difference between somebody who doesn't want to let God down by falling and somebody else who's an unhealthy perfectionist. Here's how you know you're a perfectionist on this walk stuff. If you spot every tiny imperfection in you and in others, especially in others, if you find yourself judgmental of the smallest things in other people in their walk, it's probably because you're trying to be perfect, not obedient. If you find yourself really setting goals all the time for your spiritual life, goals that are unachievable, nothing wrong with goals, goals are good, but you intentionally set goals for yourself that you never achieve and most people couldn't, you might be more about perfection than obedience. If you find you are afraid of what happens when you don't reach your goals, you're, you're afraid of falling as opposed to just being happy that you're making little steps toward completion, it could be you're more intent on being perfect than obedient. If you think a walk with God is more about doing the right things to keep him happy and loving you than it is walking with God while he is happy loving you, you don't get obedience. If you're getting defensive, as I talk about perfectionists right now, as opposed to seeing this as valuable information that you might use to change how you walk, that is perfectionism. <laughs> what you gotta realize, it is not perfection that will make you complete. 
Even if, even if it was, you couldn't jump that bar. Perfection does not make you complete. Obedience does. Perfection is never, is, I'm sorry, perfection is never falling or at least appearing like you, like you never do. Obedience is trying, falling, and getting back up to keep walking. And Crosswinds, here's the greatest thing about obedience and being made complete that you need to know. God tells us he will be the one, or the Holy Spirit inside you will be the one to help you fulfill your function as you walk. Christ's perfection in your imperfection is what will make you complete. No matter how many times you screw up the walk, no matter how many times you fall, he will mature you into this complete, transformed being if you just keep walking. One last verse I'll show you. James 1.4 says, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh, and by the way, do you know what the Greek word for mature is there? Somebody? Good guess. Tell us. Just persevere. Keep walking which leads to one more commitment I want you to consider resolving. You ready? Resolved, I will make the obedient choice. And when I don't, I will allow myself the grace to keep journeying with God into obedience the next time. Let me read it again. Resolved, I will make the obedient choice. And when I don't, I will allow myself the grace to keep journeying with God into obedience the next time. Now, can I leave you with one final truth about this verse that I think changes everything about what Jesus meant that day? Again, so many of us read it and we think that Jesus was saying, you be perfect just like God is perfect. Just like a golf coach might say to an eight-year-old, you swing the ball, hit the ball, swing the club, hit the ball, be perfect. But the tense that this verb is written in, it is the future tense. It is not you swing the club, you hit the ball. It is you will swing the club. You will hit the ball. So this is not you be perfect. Jesus is saying you will be perfect someday. This is less of a command and more of a promise. If you walk, he promises to complete us as we walk. All right, will you stand with me? Let me pray for us before we go. God, I keep thinking about this video we saw earlier and this idea of us being harder on ourselves than anyone has ever been. And so many of us, so many people in this room, we, we look at ourselves and we see all the imperfections. We think of ourselves as not perfect and we go different ways with that. Some of us get incredibly defeated about it. Others of us try to appear perfect and all of them lead to emptiness and God, they lead to us being these things that are far from who you'd have us be, real people working it out with you, walking along the way. And so we thank you for being a God that accepts us in our imperfections, who, who while we were still sinners, would die for us, who comes alongside us and says, I love your beautiful imperfections, and in them, I'm going to make you into something that is complete, a yellow banana with brown spots, a bowl of guacamole, and you will be everything I intended you to be if you just keep walking. God, we commit today, we will choose real over perfect. We commit today to choose the choice that helps us fulfill the function you've put in us, and we commit today to obey, and when we don't, to get back up and keep walking with you. God, as we do, 
Will you make us into who you want us to be? And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.